Okta Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octo non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Chris Cavallini is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, United States Navy veteran, speaker, and social media influencer. He is a multi-times Forbes feature personality and the CEO and founder of Nutrition Solutions, a national lifestyle brand and meal preparation company reporting over eight figures in annual revenue. His company has some of the highest profile clientele in the world from the NFL, UFC, WWE, any professional athletes or influencers that you can think of, they're eating his food. Now, during his turbulent youth, he was arrested 17 times prior to his 18th birthday and actually later served some jail time. Now, he ultimately changed his life course by dedicating it to personal development, philanthropy, and using his platforms to educate people on the practical action steps and mindset needed to reach the highest levels. And before we get started, Chris, I have to tell everybody about my initial impression of you. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. So we met officially at the council at Jocko's event a few weeks ago, and I'm outside the airport. And here comes this big Escalade coming in, rolling deep. Here comes Chris, gets out, puts out his tattooed media forearm and gives me a big handshake. He's like, hey, brother, how you doing? And I knew immediately it was going to be an incredible weekend just being able to spend some time with you. And I guess I can say this about the entire Jocko event, like the caliber of people that were there, just amazing. And the way that we interacted and the way that everybody was just there genuinely trying to help each other was huge. And then I look over at one point and you and Jocko were in this deep conversation for like 20 or 30 minutes. So it was pretty incredible to see this level of people that are willing to reach out and help each other in this kind of process. Yeah. And being out there in Washington. And first of all, thank you so much for the intro. I appreciate that. And one thing I just would need to correct you on, you had said caliber of athletes and superstars, individuals using my food. It's definitely not my food. I don't even know how to turn on a microwave. <laughs> I have an amazing team of culinary ninjas, the culinary assassins, we call them, and all credit goes to them. Well, you built the team too. So everybody wins, I think. So you build an incredible team around you and you're very curious about improving. You're always wanting to learn where's the blind spot, what's a better choice. You were talking about how you built buy-in to your company by allowing people to come up with these ideas. Can you give us a little bit of an idea what that looks like? Yeah. I mean, as far as my kind of mentality and strategy towards life, which is continually making progress, that is simply because I learned throughout the course of my journey. I've been on this planet 39 years so far. And somewhere along the way, I realized that the key to happiness in life is actually progression. Happiness, feelings of happiness are a direct byproduct of us moving forward in or on our respective journeys, regardless of where that progress is being made. So I just think that a lot of people really 
if you would ask everybody like, look, you know, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? And they're going to say, you know, I want this house. I want this job. I want this girl. I want this number of dollars in the bank. I want all these things. But if you keep questioning, well, why do you want that? Why do you want that? Eventually it comes down to the fact that people want to be happy. And I want to be happy just like everybody else. I mean, we have this biological intrinsic driving force to be happy. And when we understand that our happiness is directly related to the progress we are making in life, it completely changes the landscape. So whether it's my personal life, my fitness, my knowledge, or the product and service that we provide our clients at Nutrition Solutions, we're constantly looking for ways to improve, even if it's just by 1%. Because if you're improving 1% over the course of time, that yields a significant return. And again, as, as a human being who is interested in, in living a you know strong, happy, fulfilled life, I'm just constantly seeking ways to get better. And it's it's uh it's an offensive mentality. I think a lot of people um most times they're in a reactive state or you know in a defensive posture and they don't start making changes which would technically warrant progress until there's a problem, right? Until they wake up one day and they look in the mirror and they're physically disgusted with the reflection they see looking back at them. All of a sudden you wake up one day and you're 30, 40 pounds of body fat extra on top of your frame. And then at that point you are forced to take action and you obviously make some progress in that situation, but it's a completely different mentality than going into everything and, and looking to improve because you understand that your improvement is, re is related to happiness, right? Like what can I make better? Not the whole, if it's not broke, don't fix it mentality. I think that's a loser mentality. I think in very, very few instances, does that actually apply? We should always be looking for things to improve on. And by doing so, we'll discover not only we're going to live a strong life, but we're going to live a happy life as well. And that's the thing. We have to continue to look for these blind spots. And again, if we build the right team around us, they're going to see around that corner before we get. And when we learn to trust them, all of a sudden they're giving us all these areas. And now we have this 360 degree view, not only of our business, but we can find that in life as well if we're willing to learn the lesson. So there was a time in your life when you weren't as successful or you weren't as fulfilled or as happy. You went through a lot of trials and tribulations when you were younger. Can you expound on that just a little bit? Of course. I was arrested 17 times prior to my 18th birthday. You alluded to that in the intro. Another half dozen or so times as an adult. I have multiple felonies on my record for the sale of controlled substances. I you know, grew up unconventional. My mother had me, she was 16. My dad took off when she was pregnant. My mother was not fit to take, I mean, she was a baby. She was not fit to take care of a baby. She had some issues with drugs and throughout the course of her lifetime has been diagnosed with every personality and mental illness known to man. So I was taken out of her care, put in the system and bounced around a little bit, spent some time in foster homes and group homes, didn't have a, a father or father figure around, which, you know, as it turns out, you know, that has a significant psychological impact on children, especially boys. When you don't have that disciplinarian, you don't have that authority, you don't have that guiding force, so to speak, you basically create your own lane. And as a kid, when you know you're bouncing around and, and spending time in, in, in group homes and, and, and foster homes and juvenile detention centers and things of that nature, you develop a, a certain outlook on life, and that isn't an outlook that would necessarily be consistent to 
ultimately living a, a strong, you know, successful life. So I was very much off track. I think, you know, looking back on it, you're not aware of any of this at the time, but one thing I was very lucky, I had uh, some good friends who their families were like aware of my situation and they were so good to me and they were so kind to me. And I, and I think that because of certain friends of mine's families that I kind of had that looked out for me and allowed me to come and, and spend time with them and then sit at the dinner table. I really think that prevented me from just completely going off the deep end. I mean, obviously I'm still getting arrested a lot. My senior year in high school, it got to a point where the state of Massachusetts, where that's where I grew up, they got sick of seeing me in the courtroom and they got to a point where they realized that I wasn't learning my lesson. And, and, you know, as the nature of my offenses progressing, you know, it was like trespassing, underage drinking, possession of a controlled substance, you know, fighting, battery, assault with a dangerous weapon, all kinds of stuff. It, it was just, it, it began to escalate. So as it escalated, so did the punishments that I was being given. And, and it still didn't seem to disrupt the behavior pattern. They basically gave me an ultimatum and they basically said, I can go to jail for seven months or join the military. I was a couple months away from graduating high school. I had no plans after high school. And I obviously opted to join the military because out of those two options, it seemed to be the logical choice. You know, I, I wish I could say that it was naturally when people hear that I was a Navy diver, they, their natural response, people like to thank you for your service. And, and and that's very generous of them to do that. And, you know, I wish I could say that I grew up wanting to serve my country. And from a very early age as a young boy, I dreamed of just honorably serving this great nation, like so many that came before me, but that wasn't the case with my situation, but it was without question, one of the best, if not the best thing that has ever happened to me because the military I mean, it changed my life, taught me lessons and instilled character traits in me that have made me the man I am today. And that's the thing about it. I mean, when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. And in this case, being in the military forced you to do that. But then when you came out, you were able to have this powerful ability to, you took the militantness from the military and still had that entrepreneurial spirit. And you were able to harness them into something in the civilian sector that a lot of people don't have the capacity to do that. Maybe they have one or not the other. Well, in all fairness, there's some validity to what you had just said, but I want to just put together the timeline for everybody that's listening. So the military helped me become a better man. I was very fortunate. I, I did well on my ASVAB test. I guess from a young age, I recognized the value in intelligence. And I think that kind of stemmed from insecurity. And I remember hearing, I believe it was my sixth grade math teacher. She was talking to us. She apparently was on the Harvard University campus, which is you know up in Massachusetts. And she was sharing with us that she was on campus and just the conversations that she was overhearing with some of the students, the things that they would talk about and the way she was kind of like lighting up. I mean, she was obviously impressed by that. And I was thinking, I was like, as an insecure kid, like I want to be impressive. I want people to look at me and talk about me like that. And so I started reading the newspaper like at a very young age. I started reading the newspaper because I felt like that the more that I read, the more that I understood, the more that I could speak about things and maybe impress people as it were. So I think starting to read from an early age really, really helped my brain kind of develop. I wasn't, I, again, I, I feel like I was pretty intelligent, but I, I didn't get good grades in school because 
for the most part, I, I didn't show up. I think I have the record for the most times late in a single year, single year and single semester. I was late all of the time. I mean, I chose to be late. I, I chose to not go to class. And, you know, eventually you realize this is the standard. I got to get this grade to get through this. So I would, I would get that grade and I would get through to it. Did well on my ASVAP test because I wanted to have my options open in the military. I wanted to get a cool job. And I was able to get into Navy dive school. That time it was about a 70% attrition rate, which is obviously, you know, 70% of the people who start are not going to complete it. There was no way at that point. I mean, this was basically my shot at redemption, my shot at being able to fulfill something that would make me significant, something I could be proud of, something that I could kind of hang my hat on, as it were. And, you know, that community really helped me out. And I, I learned so much. I was around some amazing people, did a lot of cool shit, man, a lot of cool shit, learned a lot, a lot of cool things. And my five-year enlistment was coming to an end and I was offered a lot of money to re-enlist the time. They were short on Navy divers and they were offering a like, large, I think it was about $40,000, which at the time was just an incredible amount of money, especially young guy in the military. Maybe I had $1,000 in my account. Maybe, maybe, probably not. But I really didn't, it's not that I didn't want to stay in per se. I didn't want to leave Jacksonville, Florida, where I was stationed. I had created this new life for myself. I liked the person that I had started to become. And I was very fearful. I had this very positive association with where I was at. And if I would have re-enlisted, I would have had to relocate. And I just, you know, wasn't willing to take that chance. So I decided to get out really without a plan. And I had a half-assed plan, which looking back on it, it wasn't a plan. It was an excuse to act like I knew what the hell I was doing. I had no idea. And I lost all my structure overnight, basically. You get out of the military, the next day you get up, you don't have a structure, you don't have mission, you don't have any order in your life. And for someone like me that came up the way that I did, little did I know that that would be a huge problem because you go from having the all the structure, you know, where to be, when to be there, what to be wearing, what you're going to be doing, all these checklists and standard operating procedures. Your life is basically one big standard operating procedure. And if you follow those procedures, you're going to do pretty well for yourself lost all that overnight and, and found myself working in a strip club because I was trying to take advantage of the GI Bill benefits. I, I learned that if you take a certain number of credit hours, which at the time it was it was like two online courses. So I took two online courses, I could get like $2,000 a month that they would put in my pocket after they paid for the school. And if I worked at the strip club, I could get paid under the table so I could make additional income. So I ended up working in the strip club and that environment, obviously, again, not consistent for one's personal growth, as it were. I wasn't, I wasn't there to personally grow, but I was, I was there to make money. And just being in that environment, it, it caused me some significant regression. I didn't like the environment. I, I was getting fights with the customers. I was still, I was still very rough around the edges, very insecure. People like talk back, or if I felt like they weren't like respecting my authority, I would, I would get very upset and triggered by that. So I'm getting fist fights with the customers because most of the time they were bigger than me. So like, I'm, I'm just brawling with them because I'm not like, you know, big enough to like carry some of these assholes out and, you know, messing with the girls and, and you know, that's causes a bunch of drama and I just didn't like it. And I disliked it so much that I subsequently quit to become a drug dealer. And I spent the next seven years of my life selling anabolic steroids. So you're saying earlier about the qualities and 
you know, the things that I learned in the military and the entrepreneur, I was saying there's some truth to that because when I was a drug dealer, looking back on it, and again, I'm not minimizing what I did. I've been punished. I, I've been held accountable. You know, all these things, I make no excuses and I'm not minimizing what I did by any means, but I was good at what I did. I legitimately wanted to help people. And in my mind, I thought I was doing that. Now that's up for debate whether or not I actually, I actually was, I wasn't forcing this upon anybody. The people that were coming to me, I mean, professional athletes, people I knew, entrepreneurs, like people that just wanted to get fitter and better. And I wasn't trying to just sell them whatever I could sell them to make the most money. I, I wanted to, to give them the tools that I thought were going to get them the best results. And I also kind of realized after a little while, like, all right, some of these people are not listening. Like you tell them what to do and how to do it. And then I'm looking at their body and I'm like, okay, something isn't right here. So then I realized like following up is important. I got to follow up with these people and I have to make sure that they're staying on the path and they're staying on the protocol. And they're not just going with the more is better mentality, because that is where you'll have some fucking problems if you're using anabolic steroids. And again, I'm not glorifying what I was doing, but what I ultimately did do is I took a lot of these same mentalities and kind of approaches as far as trying to help people, giving value, following up, making sure that like, I'm not just selling or putting people onto things that are going to make me the most money, but things are going to actually help them get the best results and, and help them, you know, change their life. And we legitimized that when we started nutrition solutions and started basically preparing food for people that simplified everything that makes dieting not suck by giving them food that they actually enjoy high quality food that all you have to do is literally pull it out of your fridge, heat it up. It's ready to eat in less than two minutes. And provided you do that, provided you stay consistent doing that, it's physically impossible for you not to see results specifically in regard to a very substantial reduction in body fat, an increase in lean muscle, improved energy, mental focus, an increased sex drive, just an overall better quality of life. I mean, because by the way, this is not just with using nutrition solutions. Okay. This is what happens when you eat well. And the problem is most people don't. Most people put food in their body every day. That's not fucking food. Most people struggle. Most people, I mean, we get this whole mental health movement that's going on. And it's very fascinating. If you think about the timeline, over the last three or four years, like this is when this conversation has become a prevalent topic in popular culture. And you look at some other things over the last couple of years that have become main topics in pop culture, things that involve restricting our freedoms, right? Imposing sanctions, basically asserting a higher level of control. And I honestly believe that that's what this mental health movement is. I think it's an opportunity for these assholes to assert a higher level of control by glorifying mental health and basically making people think that if they don't feel good, if they're feeling shitty, that something must be wrong. You need to go see a doctor. You need to go see a doctor who's going to give you a pill. And what happens when you're given that pill and now you're on that pill? You're, you identify as this person who's depressed, who has anxiety, who has all these fucking problems because this, this authority, this doctor has told you as such. So now you are that which makes you a hell of a lot easier to control. And I think that that's a huge fucking problem because most people who are taking antidepressants are still fucking depressed. Unfortunately, most people are too stupid to fucking put that together and realize that 
what they're doing isn't working and they're not looking at what else might be going on in their lifestyle that continues to make them feel the way that they fucking feel. If you're putting things into your body every day that is not biologically engineered to go in your body, you're not going to fucking feel good. Like, how the fuck can you expect to, to, to feel good if you are not giving your body the fuel, the nourishment, the nutrients that it needs to thrive? And I'm not just talking about like chicken breast and veggies and, and rice. I'm talking about grass-fed beef. I'm talking about venison, elk, bison. I'm talking about like a, a variety of organic fruits and vegetables. You have to be fueling yourself with a variety of different foods, high-quality foods. Not all foods are created equal. The reason it's so important, I don't think organic is always better. It's it's not, especially with the way the regulation on food is. It makes it very misleading in certain situations. But when it comes to produce, when it comes to fruit and vegetables, it's mandatory. Like you need to be eating produce that is organic. Same thing with eggs. If you're not eating eggs that are organic, it's pretty fucking disgusting. And, and, and I, I could spend a whole like hour talking just about that. But you can remember these simple things like as it relates to organic, the only eggs and produce mandatory. But when we talk about proteins, like you know, going and buying the cheapest, this is what people do. They go and say, all right, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to start. And they go and they beeline to the cheapest thing that they can find, the cheapest chicken, the cheapest steak. If you want the least results, if you want the least quality, the least healthy, the least nutrient dense food options, then you should continue doing that. You should continue going and buying the cheapest shit that you can buy. But have an awareness that if you don't feel better, you don't look better, like th there might be a fucking reason for that. When it comes to what we put in our body, we should not be discount shopping. Okay. It should be quality only. You need to be picky. You need to be selfish. You need to have extraordinarily high standards as it relates to what you put in your body. Because the thing is, what we put in our body literally influences every area of our life. The way we look, the way we feel, the way we function, our confidence. We can't discount the value in confidence. Confidence is what makes successful people have the ability to be successful. There's no fucking getting around that. And if you are not comfortable in your own skin, if you wake up every day and you're like repulsed and disgusted with what you see when you look in the mirror naked, that's how you're starting every day off like on that vibration. Buddy, I, I can't imagine that your days are, are going to be very fruitful. We got to do something about that. We got to look at that. And we just have to stop accepting these standards that are just not even fucking standards anymore. I mean, like Americans are fat. It's disappointing. It's disgusting. And it's unacceptable. And that's what it all comes down to. It comes down to, like you said, being able to look in the mirror, being very honest. And then saying, no bullshit, what does it take? And again, talking about what you're talking about, nutrition solutions, it's a very simple first step. Or nutrition in general, or just eating better in general. Like, I don't want people to think that they have to use nutrition solutions to get in shape and to change their life and to be healthier and to no longer have to wake up every morning and not be able to see their own dick when they look down or wake up every morning and actually struggle. Like the first 90 minutes of the day, you're fucking struggling to get it going because your brain doesn't have the nourishment or the fuel that it needs to kick on. And you caffeinate yourself to the degree where you can, you know, begin to function. But then, you know, at some point that wears off and then you got to find, you know, something else to keep it going. So most people are taking Adderall and, and, and shit like that. The thing is like food is medicine. Real food is medicine. 
the things that most people are eating every day and think are food is the legit opposite. It's poison. You know, just because it's on a shelf, this is what people need to understand. Like hundreds of years ago, there weren't like grocery stores and like these stores, like it, you couldn't go buy stuff off a shelf. So over the course of time, we've evolved as a species in a lot of ways, but I think we've regressed in just as many because people think that if something is on the shelf and is sold as food, that then that means, okay, that's acceptable. Like it's not even a conscious thought and they're just grabbing whatever is on. If it's on a, a shelf, that means it has a bunch of stuff in it that should not go in your body. And it's not just about being fat and overweight and, and obese and all these things, which like that is a huge fucking problem, right? Three quarters of the adult population are categorized as overweight or obese. Actually, 40% are obese. Another 20% of that half of the people who are obese are actually classified as morbidly obese. So that's a fucking problem. But the other thing is some of these foods that people are buying and thinking, oh, that's healthy. It's actually a little shocking how people are so unaware of how unaware they are. They're eating food that's healthy, thinking they're they're healthy. And it's like, you look at their fucking body, you look at like their lifestyle and it's like, how the fuck do you, does it not compute that that something ain't right? And I mean, admittedly, it's not their fault. It is their responsibility to get it on track, but the programming is just so deep. It's so fucking deep because there's a lot of food in the grocery store that's being marketed as healthy and to the average person they see it they don't fucking know the difference and they're getting it they're buying it and they're they're legitimately investing in food because that's what food is okay it's an investment now just like any other investment it's going to go one or two fucking ways like that outcome but most people are investing in food every day that is objectively making them fatter sicker weaker depressed and basically deteriorating their fucking confidence they're spending their hard-earned money on food that is making their life shittier. And I think that people need to just look at that and realize if you're not feeling good, if you can't seem to get it going, or you're just looking to fucking improve, like start improving the decisions that you're making every day with the foods that you're putting in your mouth. Because by doing so, it will literally fucking change everything. And like you said, by making that singular decision that's positive, vicariously, all your other decisions are being informed by that. Again, you're eating the, the right food. Now, when you wake up in the morning, you don't feel tired. You don't feel, uh, again, if we're not getting enough sleep or if we have all this like hormonal imbalance, what happens? You wake up and you want something sugary. You want something sweet. You want something right now. And it's this short, immediate gratification that long-term we're slowly committing suicide with a, a knife and fork if we're not careful. This is what allows us to be able to be in that position, to take our lives back, to not be a victim, to not be in this place where, oh, I don't like this feeling. I'm going to allow myself to be distracted by this, that, and the other that's not serving me in the wrong one. No. And most people are addicted to sugar. They don't know it, but they are because it's in everything. And that's a fucking problem because sugar is the worst drug. I mean, it kills more than any other drug put together cumulatively as far as it, you know, being linked to cancer and a variety of other health problems. But you had mentioned that, you know, every area of your life, like it legitimately is like, if you want to make more money, start eating better. You want to like improve a, a skill set. You want to learn how to play the piano, start eating better. You want to be a better parent. You better start fucking eating better. Not just so you can keep up with your kid. Not just so you can have the energy to spend the time, the quality time that you have a responsibility to as a parent, but so you can set the right example because the early years, we know that 
the earliest years have the most impact from a cognition standpoint, from a cognitive development standpoint of a child, those early years matter most. So with them watching you eat like shit and eat fucking Doritos and, and, and drink alcohol and, and sit on your fat ass watching Netflix every night, okay, that's their blueprint. And they think because they look up to you, they love you no matter what, that that's what the fuck they should do. That's not what they should. That's actually the fucking opposite of what they should do. And it sucks. But the truth is fat adults have fat kids. And if fat adults continue to reproduce, they're bringing children into the world that are going to be at a profoundly higher risk of all kinds of shit, disease, a shorter life expectancy, a life of poor confidence, no self-esteem, mental health issues out the ass. And I don't think that genetics play as massive as a role as a lot of people think, I think. But unfortunately, as a kid, you have no fucking control over that, right? So it's not until later in life where you hear something like this or, or you, you learn something, you're like, oh, okay. So me saying this, my body looks like this because my parents look like this is just a fucking excuse because it is. Genetics, it's not your genetics. It's the food that's in your fridge and in, in the pantry, in the, the little drawer at your fucking desk where you keep the cupcakes and bullshit. It's in the poor decisions that you're making every day with the food that you're putting in your mouth, the workouts that you're skipping, and people's addiction, not just to sugar, but to comfort. That's a mediocrity. A lot of people now, I've had people say, listen, Marcus, you've been through adversity. You keep talking about it, but I don't find myself in adversity. The adversity that they're in is mediocrity. The adversity that they're in is the sugar addiction. That's like the worst kind of adversity. Absolutely, because you can't even see it, but it's all around you. You're in hell. You're in fucking hell and you don't even know it. Exactly. it. And you're in this place where it's just, again, with the child, if you're giving them this as a reward, okay, you do this and you get the slicky chewy thing. Now what do they do? That creates the behavior and encourages the behavior. And clearly that's not going to serve them in the long run. And let's just, God forbid this was to ever happen to anybody. If there was a life or death situation and you needed the strength to protect your family or save your own child's life, would you be able to do that? Most people are going to say yes. Most people say yes, you know, without question. But would they really? See, I, I don't think so. You, you go around, you look, take a look around at a fucking airport and tell me that the majority of people in there in a life or death situation would have the confidence, the wherewithal, the ability to thrive under pressure and the physical fucking strength to save their own child's life or protect their family or someone else they love. So if nothing else, if your health, your well-being, how you look naked, which is directly related to your confidence, if none of those things get you going, then I think you should really think about that because the fact is shit happens. We live in a very crazy fucking world and even if the probability of something drastic like that is very, very low, and it is, realistically, it is. But even if it was 0.04% chance of something happening, like I will sleep better at night knowing that I'm prepared, knowing that I will be ready to protect the people that I love if I was ever called upon. And I think that's a big deal. I think subconsciously, physically, people have a lot of limitations, which subconsciously, just destroys their fucking confidence and their outlook. And it's always something that's kind of gnawing away and draining their fucking energy because deep down in their subconscious, of course, being protected by their ego, it's, it's below their level of awareness. They know that if something was to happen in most situations, like they wouldn't be able to do what is required. To me, that's a, that's a huge fucking problem. 
if you can't even step forward and make the right decisions when stakes are low, and I'm talking about the foods that we're eating when nobody else is watching, how can you expect that you'll have the ability, fortitude, and courage to step forward when stakes are high? It's just not possible. It's a limitation of matter. And the idea, again, preparation is what builds confidence. And like you said, if you know how to defend yourself, if you're prepared, if you're eating the right foods, if you're in physical condition, you walk with the confidence. You're not intimidated by that aggressive car salesman. You're not intimidated in this negotiation. You're able to stand up and say, no, this is what's going on. This is what I will allow. This is what I'll tolerate. And this is not to my standard. So if that's the case, we can easily walk away from it. But many people do not have, first of all, even the awareness to do that. Or second of all, the courage or the balls to do it when they need to. Yeah, I think that was well said. And, and just the ability to have uncomfortable conversations, I believe, is directly related to the success that you're going to see in life. Because uncomfortable conversations to like a normal person who, when they hear that, what they think, it's not actually that. Like you think it's that because you don't do it and you avoid it at all fucking costs. I very much look forward to uncomfortable conversations. Like I'm excited when I have to have an uncomfortable conversation. Like, it's like, oh, I have to, like, I get to have an uncomfortable conversation. And I know that by doing so, there is some form of progress or growth or an element of learning, which is going to directly contribute to my advancement of, you know, not only my knowledge of something with my business or the relationship. Uncomfortable conversations are a huge relationship builder. And most people avoid them at all costs. And it's a, a huge, huge missed opportunity. Every time that I have an uncomfortable conversation, I know on the other end of that uncomfortable conversation is a, a more confident version of me. So yeah, I mean, look, if you're not confident with how you look, you're basically going through the day subconsciously now thinking about how other people are looking at you and thinking other people are looking at you and judging you in the same way. And guess what? They fucking are. They are. People talk about don't judge a book by its cover. While I agree, in theory, that is a good overall rule, and, and you should try to do that as much as you can. But there's actually been studies that have been done on this that demonstrate when people actually look at people and they make a determination based, because that's what we do. We, we are constantly evaluating, constantly seeking, constantly judging. And right or wrong, that's just what human beings do. What this research actually shows us is the overwhelming majority of the time, which was, I believe it was 80%, 80% of the time, these judgments, these assumptions, these judgments that we're making based off the people that we're seeing that we know nothing about other than what we're seeing on the physical outside, 80% of the time, they tend to be accurate. And they tend to be accurate based off our previous life experiences and based off the fact that you can, unfortunately, you know, people are going to get pissed off to hear this. Nobody likes to fucking hear this, but you can tell a lot about a person by their physical body and their physical appearance. And, and we're talking about if you're not a fitness model, that you're a low value human. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who just prioritize their health. They understand that their health is the most valuable asset they have. And without it, nothing else fucking matters. And it's funny because people who do that, people who are fit, people who make good decisions with the foods that they're eating every day and, and are in the gym and are exercising, like they tend to also be neatly groomed. They dress nicer, right? Females will put on like nice makeup. And, and, and by the way, this is a fact. Women who actually wear makeup to work get paid significantly more than women who don't. And that's just another way to validate the fact that 
your physical appearance fucking matters. And again, I don't think you should be doing any of this for the validation of the outside world. We're just adding to the list of reasons why you need to. The only validation you need is yourself. And if you're validated yourself, if you're confident in yourself, then you don't really give a fuck what anybody else thinks. You're never going to second guess yourself. You're never going to worry about what this motherfucker has to say or what this idiot fucking thinks. You do what you want to do the way that you want to fucking do it. You're not ever going to be gun shy to make a move and step forward because you're worried about what other motherfuckers think. The reason people are so concerned with what people think is because they have no fucking confidence. And it's bullshit. You could do something about it. That's exactly it. And like you said, these are all things that are within our control. We can control what we put on, what we do, how we take care of ourselves, the food that we put in our bodies. And you and I were speaking about this even at the council about how being direct with somebody to some people feels like disrespect or rudeness. But honestly, to a person like you and I, like that's a big compliment. I would rather you be direct and succinct than just beat around the bush. And now we have all this superfluous bullshit that's not contributing to the conversation and not taking us in any direction that is really of any importance. Yeah, man. I think people are just pussies, man. It's 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 sad to say this was never a problem, you know, 10 years ago. Like when I was in the military, I think about some of the things that some of my superiors said to me. They said some terrible fucking things, <laughs> like, terrible things that like it, like it hurt my soul for like, weeks and they're trying to by the way they're trying to break us that's why they're doing it but it was part of the culture it was part of the normal shit that went on on a given day and once you were able to you know get past the temporary discomfort that you experience by by hearing the truth because it only hurts when it's the truth but once you're able to get past that and put your ego aside you realize that well not only is what they're saying the truth but they actually did me a favor by calling it out the way that they did. Because had they beat around the bush, had they been any less direct, it most likely as a young man would have went in one ear and out the other. And also we don't have the luxury of being philosophical when we're in combat. So we have to find those people early. When I was in infantry school in 2011, it was the same thing where like you say, it was still very challenging back then. They were still very much trying to figure out who was strong and who wasn't because if that weak person that's going to freeze under pressure gets out there, when we need them the most, other men die. So you have to have that kind of, there's a lot of gravity in everything that we do, but understanding that every choice that we make can have the same sort of impact if we choose to give it that kind of gravity, meaning our food intake, meaning the way that we take care of ourselves, the way we appear, the way that we conduct ourselves around others. And our ability to not be a little bitch if somebody gives us some direct feedback. And, and that's kind of how this topic came up. And I don't know any successful people. Like I don't, I, I know a lot of successful people, right? I don't know one successful person that doesn't give or gracefully, graciously accept brutally honest, direct feedback, not one. And I think there's something to be said about that. The thing is, I try to train my team to recognize feedback for what it is. It's, it's a gift because most people won't bother. Like they won't bother to pull you aside and have those uncomfortable conversations because they're uncomfortable. It takes energy. It takes effort. It requires them to actually care about you. And when I think back about some of those terrible things that some of my bosses in the military said to me, they actually weren't terrible at all. They were facts that were being stated in a very direct manner from people who at the time I was unaware but they really cared about me and they wanted me to improve. And they were giving me 
the tough love and the discipline that I lacked as a kid growing up, was arrested 17 times before his 18th birthday. It was exactly what I needed at the time. And quite frankly, had I had more of that growing up, I probably wouldn't have been such a fuck up. Now, granted, I'm glad that everything worked out the way that it did, of course, but it's one of those things. It's it's an association. Like The people in your life, if they're not pulling you aside when you're fucking up, if they're not telling you like it is, if they're not, if you're dating somebody who's just a total fucking low life and everybody fucking sees it, but you like, if you have somebody in your life who's willing to tell you like, look, I don't think this person's right. And here's a number of fucking reasons, or, Hey, I don't think you should be doing this. I don't think you should be hanging around with this person or that. Like most people look at that as like a bad thing. And they villainize those fucking people. Those people should be glorified and celebrated because there's so few people out there who will let you know. Like, hey, like you're fucking up. Like, you, you, no, we're not doing that. And hey, you're going to stop fucking complaining. You're not going to come to me and, and complain. Okay. You get one shot and we have just exhausted that. So the next time we need to start discussing solutions or somebody will just tell you like straight up, like, look, you're being a fucking idiot. And here's how we're going to fucking fix it. Those are not people who should be villainized. Those are, are people who should be celebrated because they're becoming an endangered species in today's civilization. People look at people who are direct and they get triggered because they're seeing basically it's like them looking into a mirror that shows them for what the opposite of what they actually are, which is weak, which is timid, which is somebody who doesn't have fucking confidence, somebody who could never think about being direct like that, to being authoritative. And it's easier to lash out. It's easier to be mean and, and to villainize people than to take responsibility and say, wow, you know what? This person actually made me realize some things about myself that I need to improve on. And you know what? I'm actually grateful for that because had that not happened, I wouldn't have had that realization. But again, it's easier to make excuses to blame and then to fucking criticize and, and, and you know, talk shit in the comments online than to create real change in your life. Well, and the truth is, like you said, it takes much more courage to care about somebody enough to tell them the truth. Most people don't care enough and it's easier just to lie or to move on. But if it's a person that you actually care about, somebody on your team, somebody you love, or somebody that actually needs it but hasn't had it before, that may be the one conversation that they've needed their entire life, almost like some of the conversations that you had in the military that allow you to say, wow, he's fucking right. What am I going to do about this? And now they can begin to make that pivot. I agree. And I, I will tell you, like, I wouldn't have a conversation, an uncomfortable conversation, a brutal, like I wouldn't like tear into somebody if... I didn't care about them. Why would I invest my energy into something that I didn't care about? Look, I'm normally, if I'm having an uncomfortable conversation, it's, well, I mean, I have them all the time, but for, for the most part, it would be in a business capacity. And if I'm doing that, usually it's because I'm seeing something from somebody that is below what I know their standards to be. I know that they're better than what I'm seeing. I know that not based off of a gut feeling, not based off of what I would like them to do, but based off what I've seen, based off their track record. So people need to have accountability. I mean, accountability is paramount to success. If you don't have accountability in your life, it will be very, very fucking hard to move the needle. And I don't want to be considered an authoritative, you know, figure from every, I, that's not how I want my team to look at me as the person who comes around barking orders. And that's not the way that I am. But what I, I do want is them to have the awareness and respect for me that I'm always going to do the right thing. 
And sometimes the right thing involves a very difficult conversation. And I care enough about them to hold them to the highest standard, the same standard that I hold myself to. That's it. You're leading by example. And think about it. Even if it's not in business, it's a relationship. It's easier to have that 10-minute conversation right now and clean the slate entirely. And I'll have a lifetime of conversations that make a lot more sense. And now there's no unnecessary tension and there's no like bullshit. There's no fakeness or platitudes. Like you can just be very, very honest with that person. And again, every time you're there, just get back to it. Clean the slate again. Let's get back to this place where we can be really honest. I know exactly what you think. If I'm not doing something right, you have to tell me. Or again, I have to tell them because they can't read my mind. And that's, we have to understand the standard. Yeah. And it, it's funny, like just thinking about this, you know, most people, if they're given like direct feedback or someone is, is just brutally honest with them, I mean, they're scarred for life. It fucking scars them for life, which is so sad. But again, I think it's just a, a byproduct of what's happening in society. I think everything at, at this point, it's not just something we're saying like, oh, like society is getting soft. Like there's actual data behind it. More and more children are being prescribed prescription medication. That is not fucking good. I mean, look, like the people who are running shit and controlling the world, that's exactly what they fucking want. If they can get the kids medicated from out the jump, they're going to be very, very fucking easy to control, to manipulate, and to influence in, in whatever manner serves the fucking greater narrative, as it were. But between that, between obesity, I mean, in 20 years from now, if the trends continue the way that they are, it'll be over 90%. 90% of the population will be medically categorized as either overweight or obese. And with that comes the inflation and compound in all of the health issues. And that's the other thing to talk about. Like, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're eating like not well, even if you're not like fat, even if like you're just like maybe some fucking stoner living in his mother's basement, playing video games all day, eating Cheetos and fast food twice a day or whatever the fuck, but you're skinny. Maybe your dad was skinny, whatever the fuck you might not be the fat gelatinous human, but you probably will have the same risk of a premature life expectancy due to the disease. I mean, I think people don't necessarily understand how food influences disease. These things that they're putting in the food, right? Like pesticides, preservatives, like preservatives, like, oh, preservatives keeps the food longer. Like, well, yes, that's true. It does do that. We're talking about chemicals. Preservatives are chemicals. So we should just call it that. Instead of saying preserve, let's say chemicals, the chemicals that are in the food and have that be the narrative. But when you're putting these things in your body, over time, it's one of those things where it's not like you take like a cyanide pill. Was that like the poison pill? It's not like you do that. And you're fucking done. Like, boom, immediate. Or you put your hand on the stove and it burns. And you're like, oh, fuck, I'm never doing that again. No, this is this is actually a lot more dangerous. This is a slow, painful fucking process that you don't actually notice because our bodies are actually quite resilient. Our bodies are very, very resilient. And over time, they'll adapt and they'll fight and they'll to basically take from one area to invest energy into another to deal with whatever's going on, but it can only deal with it until it no longer has the resources internally to deal with it. And at that point, that's when disease sets in and that's when you're really fucked. When I was in chiropractic school, they told us it's like, we all have carcinogens in our diet to an extent and we all have cancer in our body. But like you said, if we don't have the immune system, if we're not taking care of ourselves, 
then the carcinogens become too much. And now we can't overcome them. And now all of a sudden we're in the situation where what's going on, we're taking resources from different areas. And now what does that affect? Our physicality, our cognition, our intellectual capacity, our ability to even connect. Sex drive. Absolutely sex drive. Sex drive is one of the first ones to go, Marcus. I, you probably, I don't know if you knew that. I didn't. So the body basically is is actually really smart. And when you're having issues and your body needs resources to address an issue, like let's say, I don't know, like whatever, like cir- circulation, your body only has a certain amount of bandwidth and energy. But if you have a deficiency somewhere, your body's going to put extra resources into wherever that area or deficiency is. But what it will also happen just like any other situation where you're pulling resources from one area and going to another, you're now going to have a deficiency in whatever area you're pulling resources from and sex drive. Your body has, has, has made this list, this priority list, this list of what's important and sex drive is not high on that list. So sex drive is actually one of the first fucking things that will be compromised when people are having a nutrient deficiency. Like you said, that hormone cascade is affected by that. And again, the quality food that you put into your body, if you're eating all these kind of quality foods, it's quality meats to give you the right kind of fats to create the cholesterol that gives you that kind of stuff, you have to have it. But again, if it's garbage in, it's impossible to create it. Maybe we should talk about that. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what people, I think most people like to immediately get on track and immediately make a significant change that will yield just a massive, massive difference with how you feel, your energy, it will significantly help with any mental health issues or just support positive mental health if you don't have any mental health issues. It is grass-fed beef. You absolutely have to be eating grass-fed beef, whether we're talking about beef from a cow, bison, elk, venison. You definitely want to try to find a home for things like bison, elk, and venison. These are very healthy, very fit, strong animals. They're, I mean, they're out just getting after it, like in the wild, making shit happen, eating quality foods. They're very strong. And that's what you really want to put in your body. You want to feel yourself with the healthiest, fittest, most dominant protein options available. So you can essentially become the healthiest, fittest, most dominant version of you. And grass-fed beef also has, I think, uh, shit up to six times as much as omega-3 fatty acid content as grain-fed beef. And there's a ton of research that has come out over the last few years, and I cannot remember this physician's name, but anybody who's listening to this can Google this and fact check it, grass-fed beef and mental health studies. So what they're showing now is people who have mental health issues of any kind, by simply incorporating grass-fed beef into their diet, their mental health is improving radically. And we're not talking like them getting on a super disciplined, like like six meals a day, two hour workouts, like fasted cardio every morning, no carbohydrate. We're talking about simply adding in this protein superfood. I mean, literally they had a, a study. There was two groups. They both got coaching. Both groups got coaching. The other group obviously got the coaching, but also started eating grass-fed beef three days a week. And over a 12-week time period, 90% of them reported that they were in a much better headspace. They did not feel depressed anymore. And the other group who only received the coaching, they had a 20% 
of the people that were in there said that they felt better. And because they were getting coaching and they were getting the therapy as well. So it's very obvious that as it relates to mental health, the grass-fed beef is the needle mover. It may have been Peter Atia that said that. I don't know if that was... It was a female. Actually. It was a female, okay. Yeah, and, and 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 this wasn't done in the United States, obviously. Of course not. Fact, <laughs> I mean, of course not. Right? <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you I do mean, that? We're, we're the fucking problem. That's the thing, like other countries they're the ones that are like doing these studies. You have to research out of the confines of what the U.S. wants, the information that they want us to know. They want us to be vegan. And that's not advisable. That's not advisable. But, you know, certain people, if they have certain beliefs about the animals and they actually know what the hell they're doing and they ensuring that they're getting all of the, because it's very difficult to eat vegan and get everything your body actually needs. And, you know, they, they had that documentary, The Game Changers that came out that, so the thesis of that movie for anybody who hadn't seen it, they were basically, I mean, it was an insult to humanity, but not really because people are so fucking stupid. People ate it up. People ate it fucking up because it was on Netflix and that means it must be fucking legit and credible. But what they were saying is a vegan diet is superior for athletic performance than eating meat. And what they didn't disclose, this kind of came out after was the comparison was based off the standard American diet, which is like McDonald's and whatever the fuck people are eating every fucking day. So they're talking about, so like, obviously, you know, obviously that's a completely, we're not talking about grass-fed beef. We're not talking about bison. We're not talking about, you know, sweet potatoes and organic produce and fruit and, and all these things. But yeah, good times. America. Vegetarian diet. That's what my food eats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, we're, we're not mad at vegans. Like we want, like the food we eat, we want it to be vegan. You know, not eating the fucking what. So the easiest way to help people understand the difference between like a grass-fed animal, like a cow, bison, elk, venison. Bison, elk, and venison are almost always grass-fed, as well as like antibiotic, hormone-free poultry, humanely raised the easiest way to kind of make sense as far as like, what is the difference in the two? It's obvious. It's the lifestyle of the animal. The animals are able to roam and get exercise and be fit as opposed to being within close proximity, shitting, eating each other's shit, living amongst dead carcasses of, you know, chickens, especially that's a huge fucking problem in the poultry industry, but also what they're eating. So if an animal isn't grass fed or, or humanely raised and consuming an organic diet, they're basically eating the equivalent of what Americans eat as fast food. So they're not going to be fit. They're not going to be healthy. They're not going to be filled with nutrients and vitamins and nourishment, which, you know, that's obviously a problem. Like you don't want to eat a, a sick, diseased, weak animal. I mean, this is the way that what would you rather eat a, a sick, diseased, weak animal with very, very, very low muscle mass or a healthy fit, strong, dominant animal, full of nutrients and full of life and vitality. Absolutely. And for the people that think that this is a lot more money, when you take into consideration, it's a huge investment in our health. And then it's not that much more money if you take a look at it, because there are plenty of other areas where we could actually, again, like you have some cars, you've got a Lambo, you're not going to put the shittiest gasoline in it. You're going to put the premium stuff in there. You're going to take care of it. You're not going to treat that thing like a lawnmower because it's a high performance car. You're not going to just sit there and try to get the most out of it by giving it the least. Yeah. This is a talking point often is, oh, it costs more to eat healthy. Well, how do you know? This is the question. I was, how do you know? 
this is the industry that I'm in. And I talk to people all the time. You know, I meet new people every day. I talk to people online. So there's so many different ways that I respond to this and can respond to this. Depends what mood you catch me in, if I'm being honest. But first of all, if you're trying to like put a benchmark on what your health is worth, what your quality of life is worth, your ability to thrive as a human being, your ability to be the best spouse, the best parent, the best human being that you like, if you're putting a, like a value on that, then it's very, very obvious that your mindset's the actual issue, which is actually quite interesting because if you're fueling your body with the right stuff, your brain actually has what it needs. So you actually fucking see the reality of how preposterous that mentality is. Your health is an investment. It is not an expense. And the thing is, we are talking now about making an investment in eating healthy, using a healthy meal delivery service, which has a ton of benefits. Look, even if people do cook healthy and go grow, like you're talking about a lot of time. You're talking about, I mean, you have to know what the fuck you're doing and what you're looking for. You have to have a certain level of competency with portion sizes, macros, and and stuff like that. And look, high-level people, regardless, I mean, our most precious asset is our time. So anything we can outsource, delegate, or automate to get the results we want, we want to do that. So it is advantageous to make life as easy as possible on yourself to get the greatest results. But if you're somebody who has the time, has the knowledge, has the discipline to do it, like you absolutely should. The thing is, though, this whole, like, it costs more, like, I don't believe for a moment that anybody who says that has actually taken the fucking time to do a competitive analysis and look at how much they're spending every single week on takeout, on Uber Eats, in the fucking snack machine, in the lobby of their corporate job, on Starbucks, at the grocery store, at dinners that they eat out. Like, take that cumulatively. What are you spending? And then actually go to the grocery store and calculate how much it would cost you to purchase some grass-fed beef, some rice, some sweet potatoes, some organic produce, some almonds, just, again, healthy snacks to trade out for what you're getting out of the snack machine and, and, and keeping in your, the M&Ms you're keeping in your desk. I don't think people for a second have done that because if they did, like, you'd actually be surprised. It's not, it's ridiculous. It's minimal. The price difference is minimal. Now, with a company like ours, yes, it is going to cost you I mean, you're paying for a team of trained professionals who are very, very good at what they do, not only from a nutrition and wellness standpoint, as far as strategically creating menus that are engineered to optimize wellness, energy, and performance, but are actually able to do that and make the food taste really good. Because that's a, another thing people have this misconception about that dieting has to suck and you have to eat food that the tiny ass portions and you finish it and you're still starving and the food is gross and it's bland and it's boring and you can't eat your favorite things and you have to cut out carbohydrates. None of that's true. You can, and you actually need to eat a variety of foods in order to get the proper, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times people who don't really understand this, they, they think chicken and rice and veggies, right? Cause that's like the traditional bodybuilder diet. as it were. And although you can eat that stuff and, and look really good, you're not getting the variety of nutrients that your body needs to operate at the highest level. And not only that, like mentally, it's a mind fuck. Like you can't eat the same fucking things every day. Like no matter how good it is, eventually it loses its value. Variety is an essential need, an essential biological human need. So 
in order to stay consistent and to have longevity in and I don't like calling it a diet because a diet, it just seems like people think, oh, I got to go on a diet. And there's such a negative association with that word. And then a diet is normally a thing that's short-lived and has a has a shelf life. But when you're making a lifestyle change and, and being more mindful with the foods that you're eating, like what you need to have that last and to be able to sustain that is you need variety and you need to actually enjoy the foods that you're eating. If you're not having a variety of foods that you can enjoy, if you're not enjoying, like if you don't like the foods that you're eating, I'm sorry, there's, it's impossible to sustain that. And that's what most people do. Most people's strategy with dieting is trying to eat as little as possible. And that doesn't end well. Yeah, it's not sustainable. Chris, I want to be respectful of your time, but I could talk to you forever. This has been just a masterclass in nutrition, the importance of it, the investing in ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally, cognitively. Where can we learn more about you, about your company? How can we support you? And how can we try some of this incredible products that you have? Yeah. So Chris Cavallini on all platforms. If you're on social, you heard this message, would love to hear your feedback on it. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. Company Nutrition Solutions, nutritionsolutions.com. If people need some help with that, awesome. We would love to have the opportunity to serve them and help them get where they want to be. But you don't need us to make this happen. You just need to start prioritizing your health and start recognizing that you only have one lifetime. Like we only have one. And the sooner you get in the fucking game, the better. And I know like some of the talking points about today would make it seem like I have kind of hostility and animosity towards people who are fat and and, and overweight and, and out of shape. And that's actually not true at all. I, I quite envy people who are overweight to a, a certain degree because the opportunity that they have to literally transform everything. I don't think most of them realize that, but I think about our company, we've we've worked with so many people and we've helped tens of thousands of people create insane transformations, a lot of them in as little as 42 days. You would be shocked to know and to learn and to see what a human being is capable of in just 42 days when you go all in and say, okay, this is what the fuck I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. And I'm laser focused. I'm going to burn my boats and I'm committed to this process. It's incredible because, you know, not only do they lose weight, their body is, it's like a different person. Like their before picture looks like the person who ate the after picture. We're talking about 42 days, some of these people, but that's not the most compelling part. The most compelling part is the stories that you hear from these people about how their lives changed, how they were able to get pregnant, how they were able to get the girl that they wanted, how they were able to to pull themselves together and basically fight for the raise that they wanted, but they didn't have the courage or the confidence to put themselves in the position to be in the mix for consideration. But now they're operating at this higher level of cognition. They have more energy. They wake up in the morning actually energized. And that's like a new fucking thing for people. They don't, most people think that you're supposed to be exhausted in the morning and you're supposed to be exhausted for the first, you know, couple hours of the day. That's actually not at all how it is supposed to be. So it's one of those things where I very much envy people who are off the path, so to speak, and, and people who are overweight because they have an opportunity to fucking change it all. And that just excites me because I know what comes with that. I, I respect anybody who gets to a point where they are sick and tired and are no longer willing to tolerate 
the circumstances of their life. And sometimes people just need a little help to make that happen, to take that first step. It can be a very scary step. If you're somebody who needs help with that and you're committed to this process, you know, do your part. You check out our website, get online, join the Nutrition Solutions family. Once you're in, we'll take care of the rest. He's given you the compliment of being blunt, everybody. Listen to what he's saying. Start taking control of your life by taking control of your diet. Chris, thank you for everything, my friend, and for all you're working on. And I look forward to conversations in the future. Yeah, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.